Whisper Nation. I am not Travis. I'm also not Johnny. I'm stepmom Lauren. I know. Surprise. And I am taking over this week's podcast about the AAF. I have no idea why they gave me the reins, what gave them the idea that this was going to be any good, but I don't care. I am doing it anyway, and I'm yours for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe, talking the AAF. So let's get down to it. Week five is in the books. Another super fun weekend of games, and what is really exciting about this is that since it is week five, we're starting to see these teams come together, gel, create chemistry, We're seeing leaders emerge. We're seeing other ones fall just maybe a wee bit down the rankings. Legends of Memphis. I could just go on and on, but that's what I'm here to do, actually. So, unfortunately, you guys have to listen to me. So, anyone who is watching this on YouTube, I am wearing a hat. Um, It is a semi-fashion statement. It's also because I didn't do my hair. So, this is going to cover up the catastrophe that is on top of my head. You're welcome. I'm doing that as a favor. Also, I have notes. So anyone listening, if you hear paper shuffling, that's because my iPad died. That has all my notes on it. And I'm usually very sly and I'm able to just kind of scroll and you guys don't even know. But I'm not doing that now. I'm going old school. I'm the professional one here. I'm just kidding. I'm the only one here. But, you know, whatever. It's notes. We're talking football. Who cares? Hat, notes, and all. Let's get it started. Okay. Before I jump into the very first game, the most important one, because it's the Orlando Apollos, I did mention before that these teams are growing with their chemistry, they're gelling, they're getting better, but this week was such a special week because every game had something awesome and unique happen in it. We had fourth quarter comebacks, we had fourth quarter near comebacks, we had games ending in a field goal, hi young Waku, I see you, and it was awesome, and I'm really hoping that this progression is going to continue throughout the rest of the season, and we're going to see these games just getting better and better. So without further ado, let's hop into the Orlando Apollos against the Birmingham Iron. Sorry about that. Had to do a quick little pause. Uh, got a phone call. Forgot to put my phone on Do Not Disturb. See? Professional. And old school again. Okay, so let's talk about the Orlando Apollos and the Birmingham Iron. I was really excited about this game because the Birmingham Iron have one of those teams that is pretty stout on defense. And I also wanted to see how well the Apollos were going to be able to hold up against the beast that is known as Trent Richardson, who leads the AAF in touchdowns, might I remind you. And one of them he did manage to score in this game. But my most favorite thing, well, second most favorite thing about this game was the Apollos defense came to play. So the aforementioned Trent Richardson, yes, he did have a touchdown. We only got away with one. We'll let him get away with one, I should say. But he was held to only eight carries for 21 yards, and he had 2.6 yards per carry, which is pretty good. They also held him to only four receptions and 37 yards on those four receptions. So the the fact that we weren't able to bottle him up really says a lot about the Orlando's defense. Second part about the Apollos in this game, which surprised me, frankly, is we have a run game. I mean, where have you been? You didn't call, you didn't write, you didn't text, yet you just show up in week five like, hey, I'm here. I don't care. You can do that 
every week. Just make sure you show up. Now, here's what's confusing for me. We have our wide receiver darling, Charles Johnson, who is Gilbert, quarterback Garrett Gilbert's favorite target behind Jalen Marshall, in front of Jalen Marshall, excuse me. Now, we have Dearness Johnson. So we have Dearness Johnson and Charles Johnson. I mean, the struggle is dearnessly real. <laughs> I'll be here all week. I'm kidding. Didn't. So anyway, we have Dearness Johnson, who really emerged in this game as, um, you know, a ball carrier, but as well as a receiving running back. So let me just get some numbers here for you. He had nine carries for 49 yards and about 5.4 yards per carry. But he also had, uh, no, that was, that was six receptions. Ah, five receptions on six targets and 73 yards. See, I still already messed up the Johnsons. I went to Charles Johnson's numbers instead of Dearness Johnson's numbers. This is going to get confusing, folks. Bear with me. Anywho, then we have Devion Smith. Hi, where you been? Thank you for showing up week five. He had 14 carries for 119 yards and eight and a half yards per carry. Get in the end zone. Please, please get in the end zone as many times as possible, both of these guys. So like I mentioned before, Gilbert, the Apollos are still perfect. We're undefeated. I mean, of course they're perfect, but we're still undefeated. And Gilbert himself is also perfect. He has yet to throw an interception. Kind of reminds me of early Carson Wentz. But his numbers from this week were 23 for 35, 286 yards, two touchdowns, and two-point conversions with, again, zero interceptions. He is really emerging as the... MVP, in my opinion. Again, bias, sure. I love the Orlando Apollos, but he's a gamer. He's a baller. Steve Spurrier knows how to use all of these assets, and they know how to use them really well. So let me just go back to the Orlando Apollos defense. They played so well. Keith Reeser, hey, third interception, second pick six in this game. Way to go, but they played too well because they forced Luis Perez out of the game. So Luis Perez, if you remember, is the YouTube sensation. Um, he learned how to play quarterback. He never played in high school, learned from YouTube. Well, yeah, YouTube sensation couldn't handle the buzzsaw that is the Orlando Apollos. I wish they would have backed off a little bit and kept him in the game because, hi, Keith Price, um, you can go back to the bench. Wow, he was so good and scary good. I needed Pepto in the middle of that game because I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to come in here and ruin my Apollo Orlando's winning buzz. What are you doing? Let me just give you an idea. He came in the game. He went 18 for 29 with 234 yards, a touchdown, and a two-point conversion. I don't think he, he uh, threw an interception. He also brought the game within a one-possession game. I mean, like that was too close for my liking. He is slippery. He's elusive. He's fast. He's nimble. And unlike Perez, who stays, you know, inside of the pocket, he is not afraid to get out, he is not afraid to use his legs, and he's not afraid to throw. And that was pretty scary for me as an Apollo fan. Also, another part of this game, which was maybe Birmingham having an off day, is Sean O'Hara during the halftime mentioned that the Birmingham Iron actually allowed 300 total yards of offense just in the first half. That's not like them. So was it an off day for them? Maybe. I, I really just think it's playing up against the Apollos. And who's going to beat them now? I mean, I, I, there are teams I think that can have a chance. But I was expecting this game to be a lot closer than it was. Um, I'm very glad that we won. And I hope this continues because now I feel like there's a big target on the Orlando's back. But I think they can handle it. You know, they're good. And it's Steve Spurrier. He can handle almost anything that you throw at him. Am I right?
All right, so the next scam we want to talk about is been talked about, I think, probably all week. It was the last 56 seconds of this game that were just mind-blowing. And I had this game recorded, but I didn't put enough of an extension on it on my DVR, and it cut off the last nine minutes. So I didn't even know about all this crazy stuff that happened in the last minute of the game until the next day when I watched the highlights of it in the middle of the Express Legends game. So I had to go back and watch it. Luckily, they already have that on the AAF. They've got highlights and all that fun stuff. They also have full replays of the game also right on AAF.com just for anyone's reference. Took me a while to figure that out. you think I would have known that earlier, but hey, live and learn. So this game was interesting in its juxtaposition of itself. So the game, most of the gameplay minus the last minute of the game was kind of nondescript. I don't really want to call it boring because it wasn't boring. Um, the Stallions have one of the best, if not the best, run defense in the AAF, and it showed. Um, there wasn't too much of a run game on either side of the ball. There were some touchdowns that were run in, but they were short yardage. The points were there, but it was, I don't want to say ho-hum because that's not what I'm going for, but it didn't, uh, compared to the drama of the last minute of the game, the rest of the game just did not hold up. But let me just tell you, uh, remember the quarterback who got his head ripped off, Berkovici, in week one, and it went viral, and his helmet came off, and bleh. well, he had to come back into this game. I give props to him and to Mike Martz, the head coach of the fleet, for um, really putting him in there and kind of making him suck it up and, you know, deal with it, I guess. I mean, but he, you know, he didn't do too bad. But um, against someone like Carter Schultz, who is also another beast of the AAF, he got another sack in this game. Bergovici took a pounding, but you know what? After, was it Woodrum, I think is, yeah, Woodrum, he got hurt. Woodrum is the quarterback for the Stallions, and he got hurt. You could tell there was not the same chemistry under the backup Austin Allen. So when Woodrum came in, came back in the game in this, you know, dramatic fashion, very Aaron Rodgers-ish or Tony Romo-ish, if we remember back that far. So he comes back in. They're in the red zone. They score a touchdown, right? They need, the Stallions need a two-point conversion to take the lead over the fleet by one. So Woodrum is scrambling all over, all over. He gets all the way over to one sideline, and then he throws it all the way over to the other side of the end zone corner. Caught it. Two-point conversion successful. There's like 30 seconds left for the fleet to have to do something with it. Well, wow, did they ever. Bergovici, the fleet quarterback, just hail marries it downfield. Caught, mind you. It was like, oh my God, he actually caught that ball to set up a 44-yard field goal. 44-yard field goal. And I believe his name is Hagman, or Hagman is the kicker. He's, a, I guess, a San Diego native team darling. He makes the 44-yard field goal, walk-off field goal. The, the time had ex time was expiring. It was done. Game over. Fleet win. Fireworks everywhere. Kickers hoisted up on the shoulders. The crowd is going wild. And, oh, my goodness, speaking of the crowd, can you tell San Diego misses having a football team? They really do. They were, they represented. They were in all of their fleet swag. They were cheering. They were loud. It was electric. It was, that made it fun the whole game because the crowd was so into it. But that ending, uh, I'm so mad I didn't get to see it in real life. I had to watch it on a replay. But still, that is what really made this game so exciting because there wasn't too much going on, you know, on the other, on either side of the ball with uh, explosive plays, if you will. 
But, I mean, come on, 27-25, what, what an ending. That was awesome. And if the AAF can continue with games like this, I'm definitely I'm going to watch anyway, but I'm definitely going to make sure other people watch with me just to see how exciting that game was. So the biggest takeaway for me for this game personally is the Stallions are now one and four. And it's important that I stress that the Stallions are not their record. Their team is so much better than a one and four team. They have the pieces in place. Their offense is good. Their quarterback likes to air out the ball. And like I mentioned before, they have the best run defense in the AAF and their red zone defense is incredibly stout. In fact, they're one of the teams I'm a little nervous about the Apollos. Um, they do have one of those teams that can take them on head on, but they have to finish games. If they do not finish games like they did here against the fleet, they're not going to be able to be successful, but the pieces are there. It's so close. And I hope that in the next, you know, weeks six to 10, they're really going to make a surge and make a comeback and start winning some games because that'd be nice to see. I think it would be good for their morale as well because uh, they're good. And I would, I would definitely say keep an eye on them. Okay, so now we have the battle of the one and threes. Was it one and three? Yeah, one plus four, we five. Yep, battle of the one and threes. Memphis Express, Atlanta Legends. Two weeks ago, I'd have been like, really? But this game was actually pretty intense. So I'm. if you've heard me talk about the Legends before, then you know that I really don't think Matt Sims is the quarterback for them. And they were so stubborn about keeping him in until, thankfully, he got hurt. He was hurt, actually. His hand was sliced open, and it was bleeding and fine. So now he continues to be hurt. And enter Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray, thank you for just being awesome. He is a totally poised, charismatic leader on and off the field. You can tell the team loves to play around him and it showed. And he also played well. Let me get you his numbers here. He was 27 for 43 with over 300 yards at 306. He did throw a touchdown and a two point conversion and he did not have an interception, which was pretty good. The thing that stood out to me the most, especially in the first half was uh, their penalties. And if you can hearken back to before this league, I don't want to say league started, but before the season started, um, Michael Vick was supposed to be their offensive coordinator. That didn't work. They had another guy who was the OC. He quit. So now they have Ken Sampezi, which has really helped them, but it's kind of brand new. So there were a lot of kinks, a lot of hiccups. So their penalties in the first half really hurt them. It was illegal formations, snap infractions, false starts. So where they were looking at second and third down and manageable, it all, it backed them all the way up, sometimes 30 yards. And it was just shooting themselves in the foot, which really hurt them in the beginning. And unfortunately, that made the game a little bit closer than I think it should have because the Legends offense really did look pretty good once they got things rolling. So Sorry, I thought I heard my dog. <laughs> and But my door shut. Everything's good. He's my intern. He's a Pomeranian. He's pretty useless because he doesn't have opposable thumbs, but he's really fluffy and cute, so I keep him around for that. So uh, on the other side of the ball, unfortunately, with the Express, um, when Zach Mettenberger took over for the bench Christian McCaffrey, we did see some life. We saw um, energy that was brought back into that offense when he started playing over Hackenberg. And one of the things I did mention in week three uh, when I was speaking with Travis was I was wondering how this momentum was going to move forward and if it was going to fizzle out. 
And it does seem to be the the team. I mean, obviously, teams play better when their quarterback plays better. And this was a really good example of why. So Bettenberger definitely has had better games. He went nine for 17, 181 yards. But the biggest thing that stood out for me was when they were, I believe, were in the red zone, the game was tied 20-20, and they needed that score to get ahead of the Legends. But he, he meaning Zat Mettenberger, threw a very ill-advised pass. Uh, I think it was tipped, but either way, it was intercepted, and that was just that dagger to the heart that really killed the offense um, for the Express, which, you know, stunk. Because then the Legends came back, and Young Wei Koo, hey, how you doing, Koo, scores that game-winning field goal. And let me talk a little bit about Young Wei Koo. So he was, I think he was the trick, uh, the trick, guy trick kick guy on youtube and then he was picked up by the chargers for i'm well i don't even think that many games but he missed some two i think two pretty critical field goals and the chargers cut him so welcome into the aaf now he's here he has had 11 field goals for 11 attempts so he's perfect on the season he has had two game winning field goals and in this game alone it was his third field goal so he has he's yet to miss so I'm kind of rooting for him. I, I want him to get back into the NFL because he's been so cool and calm under pressure. And this is, again, the second time that he's had to win the game for the Legends on his foot. So it works. Let's just really hope it keeps working. And another thing that was great about this game is it is very refreshing to see uh, these teams do well under these backup quarterbacks because these are the quarterbacks that should have been in. And it's nice to see that they are gelling. Granted, it wasn't the best day for Mettenberger, but the team has played better under him, and he's played better, so let's just hope this was a bad day. But it was refreshing to see them moving in the right direction. And let's hope that Matt Sims stays injured. Do the legends a favor and, like, stub your toe or something. Because they play better under Aaron Murray, and until that proves otherwise, he needs to stay out of the game, and Aaron Murray needs to stay the quarterback.
All right, guys, so last but not least, we have one of the more interesting games of the weekend as well. So this was the San Antonio Commanders against the Arizona Hotshots. Now, um, if you've been following the AF, you probably know that the Hotshots were one of those big power teams. In fact, they were ranked number one in week one over the Orlando Apollos. They won two straight, and now they have lost three in a row. So what's going on with their offense, I'm not sure. But this was, uh, I don't even know how to describe this game because the Commanders came out in force. They were like, hey, we're here. They scored 20 points in the first quarter and a half. 20 with no no answer from the hot shots whatsoever. They then go on to tack on six more points to go into halftime. So the San Antonio Commanders are now 26 points. Hot shots are at zero. What are they going to do? So during the halftime, I guess I want to call it show, but during the halftime break, they went into the hot shots locker room and their head coach told them he wasn't concerned with what the score was. He was concerned with fighting back and being proud of fighting back and getting back into the game. And you know what? It worked because the hot shots came back and almost won that game. And that is concerning for an Apollos fan, of course, but it's concerning for the commanders as well because the hot shots are a good team. They just haven't been able to string together those wins like they did the weeks one and weeks two. But the commanders completely let off the gas. So when you go from scoring 26 unanswered points in the first half to only three, and then your opponent scores 25, that's not how you win games. If the commanders come up against the Apollos like that and have a 26-0 lead at halftime, guess what? Orlando is going to stick that 26-0 lead where the stun don't shine, and you're not going to like it. So it... They literally could have lost this game. And the only reason I think they did win this game, the commanders winning this game, is that the Hotshots had two, I would put in air quotes, around failed fourth and 12 attempt. So if you're familiar with what that is, it goes in replace uh, replacement of the onside kick. They don't do that in the AAF. So you start, you do a fourth and 12 conversion, which is the same thing. So the first one that they had, I think, was successful. But they, as soon as, I think it was Bundy received the ball. I don't know. Yes, I think it was Bundy. He received it and uh, got it for a huge gain. And then they just kept in this, like, mob moving forward and the mobs moving forward. And you're expecting a whistle at any moment. No whistle. No whistle. So some guy just goes and takes it out of his hand and they rule it a fumble. Even Marvin Lewis, who was the color commentator on this game, former head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, he even, he was like, that's not how you play the game. This isn't wrestling. What is going on? They ended up getting a coach's challenge, going into a booth review, and the call stood. So they did not get that conversion. Now, if they would have gotten that, I have no doubt they would have gotten into the end zone. And they could have had a shot at this game at winning. Fortunately, they didn't. But on the ensuing play, they ended up holding the commanders. Commanders couldn't do anything with it. So then they get the ball back. They try another 4th and 12 conversion. And no. Wolford gets sacked. That was really the just the nail in the coffin for the hot shots, but they almost did it. And in the first half, Wolford and their darling receiver, Rashad Ross, could not get connected. They could not get anything going. He was held to only two receptions, but in the second half, he lit up. And he also scored a touchdown, which was awesome. And that momentum and that energy and that just I-have-nothing-left-to-lose mentality that they had are they going to keep that moving into next week's game because they play the Apollos? So I'm, again, a little bit nervous about that one as well because they have this fired-up energy. Hey, we came back. We almost won. Granted, they didn't. Now they're going up against the Apollos. Are they going to be able to use that same mentality to really make something happen and maybe beat us? I don't know. I hope not.
fingers crossed, but do not doubt that I'm going to be watching every minute of that game, and hopefully it'll be another situation like the Birmingham Iron, but we'll see. And uh, just real quick, too, on the commander side, um, like I said before, they've got to keep their foot on the gas. Um, but there were a couple really good connections between Logan Woodside and Mikhail McKay, and that has to be exploited because there's so much chemistry there between those two guys, and he's such a massive downfield threat that they got to keep using it. They cannot stop and stall and play conservatively when even if you have a 26-0 lead because you never know what can happen in, in the NFL and in the AAF, you never know. So, I mean, look, and Kenneth Farrow, he is, I know I use this word a lot, but he is a beast also. Use the man. He is an exceptional running back, and it just seemed like everything stalled in the second half of that game. And if the Commanders want to continue to win, they're not going to be able to do it with a second half like they just proved here. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry I took over the Fantasy Whisperers, but they gave me permission but I do hope I get to see you guys again. And remember, you can follow me on pretty much every platform at Stepmom Lauren. And it's all one word. And my name is L-A-U-R-E-N. And coming within the next few months, hopefully, fingers crossed, my website, stepmomlauren.com, should debut. That's going to be for the 2019 regular season fantasy football, which is also another one of my babies. And during that time as well, you'll find me in Adam Ranks Live uh, Facebook, in which he ultimately turns into a podcast. But I'm there helping him out, answering your start and sit questions, which I know we all have when it comes to fantasy because it consumes our lives. But again, guys... Thank you so much for letting me take this over. It was an honor for me. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. So Johnny and Travis, sorry. Hashtag not sorry. Thanks, guys.